Hello, hello, ladies and gents. Today, I got a special guest for you. I got Dr. Bo Bennett, and we dive deep into all things morally concerning as it relates to the vegan lifestyle and the meat-eater, carnivore-esque lifestyle. So we talk about, you know, both sides of the argument, basically. I feel like it's important for people to have an open mind. I feel like it's important for people to understand where each side's coming from. There's been a lot of debate lately as far as, you know, do you eat meat? Do you not eat meat? Do you go vegan? Do you not go vegan? And I feel like this was a great opportunity to just kind of dive into that conversation and illustrate uh, both sides of the equation and be able to speak intelligently and civilly on the matter. So without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy, and hope you learn something with this awesome conversation with Bo Bennett. Bennett, we're live. How are you, man? Good. How you doing, Robert? I'm good. I'm good. So I was introduced to you via an email connection, uh, but he was he was telling me that you've got a really interesting outlook on kind of both sides of the spectrum as it as it refers to the vegan community, the meat eating community, and as a keto athlete, I eat a lot of meat, but I love to hear. I love to be just open minded. I love to hear all sides of the spectrum. I feel like that's the most respectable thing to do. So I'd love to just dive into that. We can talk about your book and just flesh that out in great detail. Awesome. Awesome. That's open-mindedness is a great thing. So good for you. That's right. That's right. Uh, so generally a little bit about my background. I, I've i been focusing in critical thinking for a long time. Uh, logic. My One of my first major books I wrote is Logically Fallacious. It's a book all about logical fallacies. And I got involved with this um, when I was exploring religion, the arguments for and against God and faith and so forth, uh, probably about 10 years ago. So that really brought me in and that led me to really look at the mind uh, and study psychology, getting my master's in general psychology and then eventually a PhD in social psychology. And from there, it was it was probably about six months ago, somebody I was speaking with asked me, like, just ask me a question like, well, why is it okay to kill an, a cow for food, but it's not okay to kill a human for food? And I thought it was kind of like a strange question because nobody thinks about killing people for food. But in, in social psychology, one of the sections is moral psychology. And, and I, when I teach at a university, uh, I teach a whole section on moral philosophy. And, and we ask these really interesting questions that seem obvious to a lot of people because it's just it's what our culture does. Uh, it, it's a, a social norm. But then when you really look into it a little bit deeper, you you start to question <laughs> where these ideas come from, and, and you really open up and explore these big questions from a moral perspective. And and that's what I started to do with eating meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I actually um, haven't eaten beef or pork in about 25 years. And I, I can't actually tell you why. I, I eat chicken and I eat fish, but I can't actually tell you why. I think it was might have been a combination of just the fact I'm I'm very um, empathetic when it comes to animals. I've always loved animals, and there's something inside me I think that probably just is it more pushes me towards the disgust spectrum when it comes to the idea of 
of eating like a cow or a pig. But for some reason, I don't have that same kind of disgust factor when it comes to a chicken. And it, actually, it's there is a good reason for it. It's the fact that the more a being looks like us, the more empathy we tend to have for it. Uh, chickens are much further down, let's say, the evolutionary spectrum, if you want to call it that, uh, from than, say, like a cow or a pig especially considering the cow and the pig resemble the animals that we keep as pets like dogs and cats. Yeah. And I've always had pets and love pets. That makes a lot of sense. And th- there was also a uh, probably an element of disgust. I, uh, when I was in college, I, I used to... Um, I had a little business and I went back and forth to the business all the time. And I, the only restaurant I passed was a McDonald's and I would eat there like twice a day, like Big Macs. <laughs> and, uh, and I mean, obviously these things aren't good for you. This isn't a way to, uh, to eat a big diet. I gained like 40 pounds in two years. And one time I just opened up the, um, <clears throat> the Big Mac. I, I looked at everything and I took out the little piece of beef and I just ate it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is horrible. And I think that was probably the last piece of beef that I had. Uh, so. Oh, man, you couldn't even go out on like a big old ribeye or something. <laughs> I know. Exactly. I used to love, I used to love my, uh, my uh, ribs that I used to get at a restaurant called Bugaboo Creek up here. And those were fantastic. But, but you know, I, I absolutely love chicken these days. And, and like every meal I have that has chicken in it, I just love. And, and so I don't really miss the, uh, the beef or the pork. I'm okay with that. I'm curious. I really want to dive into this in, in detail here. But I want to backtrack just a little bit and then figure out more about your way of thinking as a, as a, as a whole. I feel like the listeners will be able to grasp this whole conversation more if they understand why you think. I'm curious because you said you, you went to the debate of, you know, religion versus, uh, I guess, atheism, and then now you're talking, you know, vegan versus meat-eating. What compels you to dive into these controversial topics and really kind of flesh them out uh, to gain an understanding? Like, what, what do you think brought that about? Like, when did that start? You know, it's not really the topics themselves. I, I think it probably was with religion, and that's a whole other topic. I was I was raised as Catholic, but I, I after like I did the communion and and whatever the sacraments I had to do, I just kind of forgot about it after eighth grade. And then somebody like gave me a book about introducing, trying to introduce me to Jesus. So I, I read the book, and I was <laughs> I I, just, I was just thinking these are like horrible, horrible reasons to accept this. Like, I'm not making a general claim about religion, but at least with that book, I said, this is, this is horrible. And uh, that kind of prompted me to really look at arguments, uh, and, and critical thinking and logic and reasoning. And that's kind of what, what spurred this path. And then once you're in that field and you're looking at arguments, you could really take that that base knowledge and apply it to anything so whether it comes to politics whether it comes to sex uh you know abortion gun rights um eating meat veganism anything everything fits under that umbrella of critical thinking if you really have a good foundation of critical thinking um and and you you're familiar with fallacious reasoning you're familiar with argumentation then then everything seems to make more sense and you could really get a, a you could you could really see things from a different perspective, let's say, than a lot of people, and and you could it's kind of clear when they're making erroneous claims or they're seeing things uh, illogically or unreasonable. So th- that's uh, that's kind of what started this whole thing. Generally speaking, do you find yourself having a predefined black and white take on things, or is there ever really a shade of gray? No, no. <laughs> In fact, uh, I I always said I told my wife early on. I said, you know what, I would make a horrible politician 
because in, in the one sense, like politicians, it's great to, to not have that black and white type of thinking and to see both sides, but to really get support for either whether you become a Democrat or a Republican or your side, you need to be passionate about those issues and you need to argue for them and, and just like in basically not be reasonable a lot of times. Uh, and I, I could never do that. You give me pretty much any issue with the exception of a few, uh, but you give me pretty much any issue and I could say, yeah, well, on the one hand, this makes sense. And on the other hand, this makes sense. So I could really see both sides of the issue. But sometimes there, it's a little bit more difficult, obviously, like when you get to uh, like slavery, um, you know, racism, and then a lot of things that the sciences, it couldn't be more set on, like when it comes to vaccines, it, it's difficult to see both sides of the issue. But, um, but I do my best. I feel like that's a, a character trick that's kind of losing its way as the times go on. I feel like more people become so, you know, stuck in their way of thinking uh, that they just totally lose the concept of actually putting themselves in someone else's shoes and just trying to take all those facts and with a very open-minded approach. I feel like that's just, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I feel like people are getting <laughs> worse and worse at doing that. No, no, that's that's true. And I think that also relates to, uh, the political culture and how people get uh, more politicized and people get more extreme. It has a lot to do with social media as well. Um, I, I don't know how old you are, but be, before the the age of the internet and social media, uh, the sources of, of news was, it was kind of ubiquitous and and there was no like there was no extreme channels with talking heads that that really just hammer on one ideological point. There was there was kind of like a variety and it was a mix and you had people from all different networks talking about different things and papers were kind of balanced. Uh, that really changed and also the whole idea of allowing people to choose their own sources of information through Facebook feeds, Twitter feeds, um, Instagram feeds, and so forth. That uh, that really it has become a problem with critical thinking and allowing people to at least understand the other side of the issues that uh, that we explore and see what people's thought process is and where they're coming from and the points that they're making as opposed to a straw man version of the points that let's say a, a, an opposite source will make on behalf of of that group and that's a horrible thing because a lot of times when um, uh, when we read, let, let's say we have uh, like a very liberal news source, we would be more likely to see arguments presented there from the other side through the filter of the liberal news source. And it'll it'll really make their views look ridiculous. And the same thing goes, obviously, with uh, with with the right. Um, and whether you apply you could apply that to to vegan arguments as well and and from strict meat eaters just really trying to make the other side look as stupid as possible it's just kind of like a, a game that people are playing they really just want to win this ideological argument they want to get support as opposed to truly understand and be sympathetic and maybe even empathetic about uh, another person's position yeah i feel like people we live in a day and age where you can create this false reality for yourself. Like you literally never have to leave your house, never have to interact face to face with anybody. And you can only search things on Google and social media that you want to see. 
And anything right. that's counter to that, you just shy away from and look the other way. And that that comes at a cost because people just don't get what reality is anymore. It's just a very skewed version of it. Um, so when when people have these you know total polar opposite viewpoints, and you've got all this noise coming in, do I mean? What do you feel like is the most sustainable approach to trying to wade through it? Like using, I definitely don't want to dive into politics, but using politics as an example, you know, you've got, you know, CNN and Fox, total polar ends of the spectrum, and people feel like they can't really have an impact, so they just ignore all the noise altogether, which is sad and unfortunate, but at the same time, it's like there's just so much negativity coming through that your quality of life is probably going to be better if you just don't interact, don't engage, and only focus on the things that you can control. But what is what is your take on that? Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's it's an argument that some people make, and I've felt that way myself so many times. Like, ah, Jesus, I just want to give up Facebook. <laughs> just like like toss it and just be done with it because every time I feel like I go through my feed, something always pisses me off. Like I always read something. I'm like, ah, geez. Uh, and when you read the news, it's the same thing. Like it's just, it's so aggravating at times. Uh, really, the best thing you could do is is just subscribe to to either like an extremely neutral source. Like I think that probably the most neutral would be like Reuters or something in terms of let's just say like politics and news and world events and so forth. Uh, just something or like AP, uh, something that just kind of reports the facts, what's going on. But if you really do want the commentary, which is good, it, it's it's not always good to read commentary to see like what exactly is going on. But it's good to to read and listen to commentary to get a sense of what other people think is going on. So that's why I, I do encourage people to, uh, if you are going to subscribe to CNN and like them and have them come to your news source, also do Fox News so you could understand the the other side. And you'll see a lot of times that when people share like ridiculous things either on Fox News or, or CNN – Let's say like if a Republican will share some something ridiculous that somebody said on CNN, like a total left wing extremist position and vice versa, uh, you get a false sense like that's what CNN is about or that's what Fox News is about. But when you start following really a variety of sources, then you understand that it's not it's not what it's about. Like Fox News isn't about all these crazy right-wing ideas. I mean, there's probably a lot of that, but uh, you'll get a much more balanced sense and a much more realistic sense on where they're coming from and probably what the average Fox News viewer or CNN viewer uh, believes based on the whole picture. And once again, you could apply this to um, any argument, any position, any ideology, any side. So if you are really interested in, in learning about, um, or just say like I'm eating meat, is eating meat okay? Then you, you follow uh, some people that are proponents of eating meat and you follow some vegans, some vegetarians, and, and also try to pick the, the reasonable ones, yeah. <laughs> the ones that don't uh, just say like extreme things. But uh, Get, get a good variety, and then that'll really help balance your position. Totally agree. That's why I'm excited to have you on here because they're, I mean, it's, it's funny because there's this division, it seems, right now in the nutritional world between the vegans and the, the meat eaters, specifically like the carnivore group, not necessarily the keto, but, you know, oftentimes if you eat keto, you eat a bunch of meat. But I feel like there's this, you know, 
just classic battle raging between the two groups. And there's like no mutual understanding for one another. And there is a bunch of just bad information being thrown out into the, the communities. But I'd love to hear you dive into uh, just just the different viewpoints, the different sides. Like I feel like anybody would benefit from hearing this conversation regardless of what side of the fence you're on, so to speak. But just dive into these different realms like the vegans like what is their argument what what do they see what are their their principles behind not eating meats from a biological standpoint from a moral standpoint like i'd love to just hear all that sure sure okay well i guess we'll start at uh, at the beginning yeah <laughs> uh, when when you're talking about a moral issue and and my book eat meat or don't is primarily focused on the moral arguments for and against eating meat in fact that's the subtitle um but Everything essentially has a moral component. Health has a moral component and the environment has a moral component. And those two health, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, health, environment, and uh, the moral part, those are three important arms of the whole idea of like whether you should be eating meat or not or what kinds or how much and so forth. So we have to look at all three of those. But primarily I focus on the moral, but I do touch on the, the health and environment. And the reason I do this is because for most people, whether whether they're, they have a theistic worldview or an atheistic worldview or just a secular worldview – the they all agree to some extent that what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, good and evil, whatever, is based on well-being. And most people look at human well-being. Like what like it if we crush an ant, does it really matter? And a lot of people say, well, it only matters to the extent that it matters to us as humans in a moral sense. Whereas some other people will say, well, why are we excluding animals and other living creatures in this moral circle? Uh, doesn't doesn't the morality of or the well-being of animals matter as well? And I think that's kind of one of the primary differences between, let's say, a um, somebody who's a, who's a vegan and somebody who's I don't even want to say somebody who's not a vegan because I think the vast majority of people, uh, I don't care how much meat you eat, if unless you're a psychopath, you're not just going to go up to a random, random animal and just kill it. Right. I mean, you have a sense that that's wrong and the well-being of that animal matters to some degree. And again, the only people who really don't are either people who are completely been socialized to, to feel nothing for animals, which is which is kind of rare, especially in our culture, or psychopaths or sociopaths who just don't feel anything for pretty much anybody. Uh, but for the most part, we all have a sense that that animals, the well-being of animals matters to some degree. Now, where I see the primary difference between a vegan, a vegetarian, uh, somebody who's, let's say, a flexitarian, such as myself, somebody who, who, which I consider myself a flexitarian, meaning that I major, I, the majority of what I eat is a plant-based diet, but I do eat some meat. And then let's say just like a, like a meat eater who focuses on eating meat or somebody who just eats a regular diet, doesn't even care about it. Really the difference, if you take everybody on that, that continuum, it's, if if you what it boils down to is how much the well-being actually matters to 
the uh, to the uh, like how much of the animal's well-being actually matters. Uh, that's one aspect of it. Also, how much eating the animals increases the well-being of the individual, and that's important too. So, what um, what moral framework? There are many different moral frameworks that a lot of people subscribe to. Let's say like a divine command theory is somebody that like say a biblical literist might subscribe to and say, well, if it's in the Bible, then that's good. If it's not, it's bad. Uh, whatever my priest says, that's good. Whatever the Catholic Church says, that's good. Uh, it's very simple. It, it's kind of like an obedience-based uh, framework. I even hesitate to, to call it moral because there's not a lot of moral reasoning in there. Uh, people who go for that view make the decision to be obedient to a certain source, and that's it. Uh, whereas the rest of us, when we deal with, from more a secular perspective, we struggle with moral dilemmas. Like, okay, well, if we do this, well, that would be good, but then something bad would happen. And it's this moral struggle that most of us go through uh, that we find in a secular worldview. And that's a good thing. I mean, that really kind of pushes us and helps us learn and helps us consider the moral arguments and what really might be good or bad and, and how something might affect the well-being of uh, ourselves or of other people. So one of the moral frameworks or the moral framework that I find most compelling is something called sentiocentrism. And basically what that is, sentiocentrism. And that is the determination of what's right and wrong based on one's understanding of the overall effect a behavior has on the well-being of organisms in proportion to that organism's ability to experience well-being. And that's the key aspect that a lot of vegans, I would say pretty much all vegans, are, are missing. It's not that, that, okay, we could experience well-being as humans, so therefore a mosquito could experience the same kind of well-being and level of pain. That's not the way it works. Biologically, neurologically, it, it's just simply not the way it works. And everything that we know about biology, whether it be human and animal biology, we know that what we experience and how we experience life and and flourishing and the, the whole idea of like being excited to be alive and the, the other end of the um, the well-being spectrum. On one end of the well-being spectrum, we have flourishing. On the other one, we have we would have like pain and suffering. Let's say. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a big difference between like true pain and suffering and flourishing, and then just kind of senses being able to like let's say like a bacteria could could sense um, light and they they could they could sense something that's unpleasant and get away from it. Plants could do this as well. Uh, but it's not the same kind of uh, like a neurological like conscious uh, or phenomenon. Like yeah, like like through through a conscious being that that we have. So one of the larger, the biggest mistakes that anybody can make is what's called um, anthropocentrism or anthropomorphism is is more common. And this is the idea of viewing, let's say, the life of a chicken as we would view life. So when when a vegan or somebody asks you to like, imagine what it would be like to be a chicken and be cooped up in that cage and to be like grabbed by your feet and, and forced to lay eggs. And you know, like this, what sounds like a horrible existence. 
we're imagining what it would be like for us to be in the cage, for a human to be in the cage, not for a chicken to be in the cage. We cannot possibly imagine what it would be like if we were a chicken because that kind of cognitive complexity is so much lower than what we have it's it's next to impossible to even comprehend what that would be like and what the chicken experiences now that doesn't mean that we can't say the chicken would prefer not to be in that situation of course uh, just like a plant would prefer not to be in a, a a vat of acid there's, but again, when we think of preferences, we're, we're really thinking it from a, a human perspective. So the whole idea of sentiocentrism is to do the best we can with our understanding of science, with our understanding of, of consciousness, of w- what it means to be human and what it might be mean to be like an animal and, and an insect or whatever, and understand that as the, the cognitive complexity of an organism starts to decrease, then it is perfectly reasonable to understand that that organism's ability to experience pain and suffering and experience well-being and flourishing decreases as well. So because of that, the whole moral equation of whether it's okay for, let's say, us to kill a cow and make 3,000 hamburgers out of it to feed 3,000 humans, that moral equation starts to shift. Whereas if we were to kill a human for the same reason, well, that would be different because the well-being of the human is so much, so much greater or the, the well-being, the human's ability to experience well-being. So that's a very important part of this, this whole argument that tends to get lost and, and simplified because let's face it, <laughs> it is incredibly difficult if not impossible, to to really understand how every living organism will experience consciousness and experience life and pain and flourishing. We can't do it. The best we can do is estimate. Do you feel like, generally speaking, most vegans view animal welfare through the lens of what the animal would feel as if it was a human, basically? Yes. Most, yes, absolutely. Because like, absolutely. I feel like... I mean, I don't know just a ton of vegans. I know I know several. I've, I've got good relationships with all of them. So I feel like, uh, I mean, I feel like they view the death of, you know, an animal for food much differently than they would a worm that you step on the ground. You know, I feel like there's just a huge difference there. Whereas if they were looking at all life forms through the lens of what a human would experience, that shouldn't be a, a line there, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if what you're what you're saying is correct in terms that. Um, a lot of I can't say like every every vegan I don't know every vegan, <laughs> but from from what I've seen, yes, it is a lot of anthropomorphism going on. It's understanding animals' well-being as we understand our well-being, and not taking into consideration that whole fact that that they are f- far more likely to experience well-being and pain and suffering a lot different than than we do. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, that it's right to 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 kill. I mean, we didn't even get to that yet. Like, it doesn't mean that it's like even if something could a cow could experience like a little bit of well-being and a little bit of uh, flourishing and pain and suffering. That doesn't mean it's okay to kill them. We, we still need to justify that, and the way we do that is by by looking at the scale, like weighing uh, in the moral equation, looking at how 
eating that cow would benefit us versus benefit humanity versus hurt the cow. And then again, there's that moral equation to be done. So it, everybody really goes to this moral equation differently. It's not just one simple equation that applies to everybody. That would be some sort of like objective morality when it comes to eating meat. And when it comes to eating meat, there certainly is none. That makes a lot of sense. I, I like the idea of like the sliding scale. Like I'm thinking of a cow, for instance, which is probably going to be much lower on that scale than like a dolphin, which is a very highly intelligent right. animal. It makes more sense to, you know, kill that cow for more food than you would the dolphin because it's that, that dolphin has a higher sense of, you know, consciousness and pleasure and pain. Um, so I don't, I guess it makes sense not to dive too much into the, the biological standpoint, but I, I kind of want to brush on that just a tad. Sure. Is there, I mean, coming from the keto community, there's, there's a whole bunch of research that indicates that nutrient density is just much higher in animal based foods than, than plant-based foods from like a, a well-being standpoint, you're going to get more nutrient rich food from animal based products. Is, is that concept just totally, you know, frowned upon or are not accepted in the vegan community? I mean, I feel like they're pretty firm believers that you can get everything you need and more from supplementation and plant-based and that there is no nutritional benefit to animal proteins. Yeah. Again, I, I'm probably not the best spokesperson for the vegan community because from what I understand, um, I've, I've probably interacted with about a dozen different vegans in order to write the book and looked at their works and, and research. Um, but from what I do understand, they, they do, they are with the understanding that you could get all of, all of the, the nutrients you need through, uh, through vitamins and, and supplements and plant-based food. Like as long as you're, I, I think it's like B12 and there might be a couple of other things. Um, so the, the big question is like how much, like even if meat is more nutrient dense and it's, you, you could eat less of it to get more nutrients. That means you probably have to eat a heck of a lot more broccoli to get the protein, let's say. And there's different kinds of protein. Like you don't have complete proteins through through all plant-based product. Um, but the, the question that, that they pose is, do you need all that stuff? Do you need all that extra nutrients? Is that necessary? Not only is it necessary, but is it, it can it possibly even be killing us in some way and leading to these diseases uh, long term. And if you pose these kind of medical questions, they're incredibly difficult to answer because a lot of it is like long term, like, well, what if eating too much protein will uh, take out our kidneys after, you know, after 20 years or something after 30 years? Well, you know, it might, but it's very difficult scientifically to follow the research on this without uh, a lot of these commingling factors that come in uh, and, and separating those out. Like it could be lifestyle, it could be smoking, it could be uh, like a whole bunch of other things that, that weren't accounted for. So these are very difficult questions to answer. But I think uh, for the most part, the, the nutrients, as long as you're willing to take some supplements, uh, you, you, you're not going to die and you'll, you'll do pretty well as a vegan if, if you're on a, especially like as a vegetarian, uh, that's, you know, that's fine. Uh, the, the whole veganism thing that, that would definitely scare me if, um, if like, if my kids told me that they were going to go vegan, I'd be concerned. 
See, I, I need a little bit more clarification because I don't. I mean, what's the difference between vegan and vegetarian? Like, I, I just let me let me get my terminology up to up to. Sure. Here. Yeah, I'm sorry. A, a vegan is more of an ideology. A, ve- a vegan veganism is the whole idea of, for the most part, reducing harm to animals as much as possible. It, it's a lifestyle choice. So not only does it include not eating meat, but not drinking any milk, not uh, taking any medicine that has been done with animal testing, uh, not wearing any fur, not playing with a football that was made from steer. I mean, like it, depending on how extreme you want to go, uh, not driving a car because it has rubber tires, which was made from animal. I mean, it, it could get pretty extreme but for the most part people uh, and that's the thing like even even the strictest vegan most likely will take a bus somewhere or drive a car uh, or take some kind of life-saving medicine uh, well that's even a different story because that's that would be like necessary in a strict sense but doing things like watching football on tv uh, even though that the football was made from a steer and and they don't have to watch but in in some way they're supporting uh, animal cruelty by doing that they they could argue so veganism is really kind of like a lifestyle and ideology whereas uh, vegetarianism is simply not eating meat but you could drink milk and eat eggs just not just not killing animals being responsible for killing animals and the primary reason to not be responsible for killing animals is because of the the uh the moral argument that these animals are feeling the pain going through the suffering and they deserve a happier life as if they were humans right well it depends on again the uh, the vegetarian and who you ask some vegetarians are vegetarians for moral reasons and some are vegetarians for health reasons or environmental reasons or a combination of of all um but most, I would say, the largest reason, the most prominent reason, is certainly uh, the moral reason. Because yes, uh, why put, why put a cow through that pain and suffering and misery if you don't have to? That's kind of the idea. So, uh, I'm curious. Like, I'm just trying to fully grasp their argument as it relates to. Uh, sustainability and you know carbon footprints for instance when when you look at the um, like all the the agriculture necessary for you know growing these vegan based products is there any thought given to the carbon footprint that that entails and the effect on the environment and you know animals in that area is there any thought towards that or is that kind of like they're not directly speaking of the vegans not the vegetarian but like they're not directly you know killing the animals so they're not having an effect on the animal's life like what is their argument there well i think to to steel man their argument give them the best argument possible from what i've heard is that they do acknowledge that animals uh, are are i guess needed in some sense or um or, or let's just say they argue that when they eat plants that animals are killed in the process, like uh, w- when the when the big plows come and plow the field, there are like rabbits and moles and uh, little cute bunnies and tons of insects and worms that just get chopped up into little pieces so they could have their salad. I mean that happens, but the idea is one: you're not purposely killing any animals. It's just kind of like a, a byproduct of having to eat vegetables, and two. That practice can, with with better 
uh, management with better processes over time could reduce that number, the number of, of animals and insects and, and other living organisms that get killed unnecessarily, li- living animals, I should say, uh, that, that are possibly conscious. Uh, so that's that's kind of their justification for doing that. And, and they're saying also it's better to do that than to eat animals because even if you eat animals, like let's say you eat cows that feed on grain, well, you, you, the cows still have to eat the grain, which are still in the fields that get plowed and so forth. So you're just adding to it. So again, it's not like a complete – veganism isn't a complete elimination of every possible bit of animal suffering. It's more of the idea of just reducing it uh, – and and they say reducing it as much as possible. I don't like that terminology because it, it's so ambiguous. And what does possible mean? I think realistically, what every vegan does is reduce animal harm as much as they're comfortable with <laughs> reducing. And that explains the, the, the full spectrum of vegans from the most strict to the one who is like just barely vegan. Gotcha. I feel like there's there's got to be a little bit of look the other way approach with that right there because I, I i wish i had the numbers i wish there was a way of knowing because i guess there is no way of accurately knowing the animals harmed in you know mass scale agricultural for vegan based food products versus you know the agriculture grown for livestock but i would have to assume it's it's probably you know tipping one way over the other um and I, i'm not for huge factory farms, factory feedlots. Like I don't like to see a bunch of cows or pigs or chickens, you know, boarded up in a small coop and having to, you know, walk over their own feces and just not know a life outside of that. I'm very much against that. But when I look at these smaller operations like local farmers, people that are, I mean, they truly care about the animals they're raising. I mean, they've, they're just trying to have a very small carbon footprint and make things very sustainable and i feel like if that's done properly that can minimize the need for these massive factory produced uh you know ranches but do vegans frown upon that philosophy as well just having a more you know smaller self-sustaining kind of lifestyle but also involving you know raising and slaughtering your own meat well yeah putting myself in in the shoes of of a vegan i would say that anytime an animal is killed for food, it would be unnecessary, therefore frowned upon. However, there are obviously better and worse ways to kill an animal because it's not just about the animal's death. It's also about the suffering and about the the life that they actually live. So I I can't imagine a situation where any vegan would choose or, or would be indifferent over a cow suffering in horrible conditions its whole life and then killed versus a cow living out in Switzerland on a gorgeous pasture for its entire life and then painlessly and quickly killed at the very last minute for for food um i mean again you'd have to be an either an idiot or a psychopath not to see the difference in those two situations but a lot of times with with veganism it's it's can be taken to the extreme and say well you know what it's not okay uh killing a cow for any reason having to do with eating it uh no matter what their lifestyle it's not okay so by me saying that one position is better than the other isn't saying that isn't giving permission. You know, they don't want to do that. They don't want to give you permission. Say, yeah, well, that's a lot better because now you're like, OK, good. Well, I'll do that. Uh, it, it's it's pretty hard line that just no, no killing animals for food ever. 
Um, and, and that's more of a, like a kind of a standard vegan position as opposed to, let's say like a vegetarian or someone who, um, who would tend to be a lot less, uh, ideological, um, ideological about the position. So out of curiosity, what, what do, in an ideal world where nobody kills any animals and they're allowed to, uh, you know, live and die out their lives as naturally as possible, what is their approach and argument and moral uh, viewpoint towards like game management? Like if, if no animals were killed, I mean, humans are becoming more and more overpopulated. Like land is, is up for grabs. Things that were once woods and natural habitat for these animals are now, you know, concrete jungles. Those animals yeah. are being forced out of their natural homeland by humans. So I feel like we humans have a responsibility and moral obligation to these animals to manage the herds that exist and do so in a sustainable way. What is their argument for, like hunting, for instance, where it's all about game management, improving the quality of the like deer population by proper management? Yeah. Once again, um, you know, it, you would have to ask like the specific vegan uh, their position on hunting and uh, it really goes the whole spectrum on on where they might be there but for the most part anytime you're killing an animal for whatever reason it's just you know no good you can't do it unless unless uh you're putting it out of its misery or something and then you eat it there there are actually a group of people that uh called scavengers who will eat meat only that have been killed like on the side of the road or something uh, I think that's, I think that's kind I think of, that for the vultures. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but I did read about them and I'm like, wow, uh, that's kind of interesting. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of, a, a lot of variety, a lot of different opinions on, on things like hunting, but a lot of these points are really good. Like what would happen if just one day we all just stopped eating meat? Like what would happen to, the, the populations of the animals and, and how would they live. If you think about, uh, even you, you mentioned like, uh, the local, the local farm versus the factory farm. And from, from my research, from what I understand, like the really, uh, high end farms have like some incredible high tech ways of killing the, the animals like uh, so they experience probably no pain by knocking them out first with with gas and then doing the the gun to the head the uh, the bolt gun uh so they most likely they feel no pain when when they die whereas it might be a lot more primitive and violent on like a small factory farm so it's not uh, on a small like a local farm so it's not always the case that uh, animals would, would are better off. It's it's really all about management and practices and so forth. Um, but yeah, what would happen if if we all just stopped eating meat? What would happen to all these animals? And would they be out in the wild? And what kind of deaths would they have? If you think about how animals die in the wild, they're horrific deaths. Getting mauled to death by a predator, uh, piece by piece you know, just flesh ripped off you. Um, I mean, that's how animals die. <laughs> if they die of sickness, if they break their leg and they just sit there and suffer until they can't eat and wither away and, 
the animals pick at them. And I mean, it's horrible. It, it's like, it almost makes me cry just thinking about it. Uh, this happens in nature. Um, so the way that we kill them could easily be argued that we're doing them a heck of a favor. An- another interesting argument is that, um, if you consider again, well-being on the spectrum of flourishing and then pain and suffering, most people, about 99% of people would agree that it's much better to be alive, even if you do suffer. So many people in this world suffer, but they don't take their own lives. In fact, only about 1.6% of, of people actually take their lives a little bit more, attempt suicide. Uh, but we we understand at some level that life is still worth living, and it's it's still better to live than not live, than to be dead. And if animals have the same sense of of appreciation for life it would it would make sense that by breeding these animals into existence we're doing them a favor by giving them a life and allowing them to live life even if we take take it away from them prematurely um at, in some hopefully painless way five years into the future or whatever in, into their lifespan so that's always an interesting argument um for eating meat and for breeding animals yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about that, uh, but it but it is interesting. And then you could you could argue using the reductio ad, ad, ad absurdum, you could say, well, does that mean we could breed humans into existence and then kill them for whatever reason? And no, we can't because a humans have a much greater cognitive complexity, which completely changes the moral equation to be able to do that. And B, humans also have what I call social moral value, which means that we as human beings feel uh, much more empathy for other humans and they mean so much more to us. So when something happens to another human, it affects us emotionally, psychologically, and even physically at a physiological level. So, uh, where we don't get that same sense for like a pig. And a good example of social moral value is the difference between a a pig and a dog. We here in the United States have dogs as pets. Uh, we wouldn't even consider like killing a dog for food just because of the social moral value that we give the dog. But biologically, they're very similar in terms of cognitive complexity, how smart they are and and what they could do. And they could be companions. They both make great pets, except for uh, pigs are more commonly seen as as food in the United States. So the only thing that if we look at the pig and the, uh, and the, the cow, uh, I'm sorry, the pig and the dog, and we compare them and say, okay, what's the difference between them? that that really matters in this situation like why do we eat one and not the other and the answer is social moral value because we don't care about eating pigs but we do care about eating dogs because of the social moral value that we assign to dogs yeah that makes sense and i I just don't think dog bacon would be a hit you know i'd never tried it (laughs) but i'm not sure i mean i totally agree like i i can absolutely respect the vegans uh, for their desire and willingness to to try and make a profound impact on you know the environment, uh, animal welfare. Like I think that that's important. Like I want that to happen. I want to to be as sustainable as possible. I want the world to be around. I want to be good stewards of the land. I think that's that's key. Like this this land that we're on is was not given to us. It's not something that we can even purchase. Like 
it it's just land and we're going to be long gone long after it's still around so being stewards of the land is of paramount importance uh, but i feel like you know there there's there's just some some ignorance going around with how the best way to do that is and i don't know all the answers by any means but i know that i care about you know animal welfare i know that i care about the wildlife i know that i care about animals and i feel that I'm able to make a, a more longing, impactful, uh, positive effect on their livelihood by proper management, um, you know, giving them a, a good surrounding in which to be raised, slaughtered, and eaten, and then using every every piece of that meat that I possibly can, the organ meats, everything. I mean, I went hunting yesterday. I killed a deer yesterday. Didn't take a step. Shot it out with a gun, and it didn't take a step. Didn't feel anything. And I'm going to eat that deer for the next several months. And I feel like that is a, a good way to manage the population. Um, so it's, I think at the end of the day, you could backtrack and, and say, look, I feel like, you know, hunters, they're, they're probably some of the most, uh, you know, thoughtful when it comes to animal well-being people I know. I feel like they have a very similar goal to the vegans, but it's just a total, you know, opposite of the approach. spectrum as to w- how they're trying to, to manage that. And sure. I don't know, what, what is your, like, if you were to just backtrack and look at this whole thing holistically, what would you say, I mean, what, what direction are things going? Like what could possibly play out as a, as a possible solution here? Well, a a solution, if we're calling the problem, the conflict between vegans and meat eaters, it's, it's an, you know, it's difficult and I'm not sure I, I have a solution in order to to make everybody happy and that's that's the thing i think the best solution that we could have is is really put these arguments out in the open and explain like have vegans listen to a hunter uh, like an empathetic hunter talk about um shooting the deer and eating the deer and and using every part of the deer and so forth and what that means to the population and so forth it's I mean, even me as as an animal lover, I think of like this cute little deer walking on in the woods with his family and all of a sudden getting shot in the head and the family like, are, you know, running away in terror. <laughs> yeah. But again, this is admittedly uh, anthropomorphizing the animal and putting myself in the animal's position, realizing that, uh, I mean, I, I do realize that an animal doesn't think the same way that I think. Uh, they're probably not going to experience the same level of of suffering and and uh, mourn that that we experience if that were to happen to our family walking in the woods. And uh, we, we also don't consider like, well, if we were truly the deer walking in the woods, then the chances are a bigger animal would come and just tear us apart in front of our kids or tear our kids apart in front of us, which would even be worse. So that's another choice. You know, it's nature is incredibly cruel. And, and I, I actually in nature is incredibly uncaring. It doesn't care one way or the other for anybody. Uh, it's just the way that it is. It can be incredibly cruel and we, we don't, we're kind of outside of nature as, as humans in that sense. We, we can protect ourselves from, from a lot of what nature wants to do to us if we uh, anthropomorphize nature by saying it that way. Uh, but animals, we can't. If we just put animals in the wild, it's just like crazy the things that happen. And if we don't think about that and we only, and we think about animals the way we think about humans, 
it's very difficult to have any kind of empathy for hunters or for meat eaters or for anybody. So I think that's one of the keys. We, we need to take the perspective, like a realistic perspective of nature, of, of life in general. Uh, the fact that we all live at the expense of some other form of life. And which leads us to another interesting topic. And I don't know how, um, where the science is on this, how, uh, I guess, believable it is or how proven it is at this point. But there is some scientific research looking at the consciousness of plants and the ability for plants to feel pain, not through a central nervous system, but through some other kind of um, biological mechanism that that we can't even understand. So, I mean, it, it'll just blow your mind. Okay, so what happens if we find out that plants really do feel pain and and plants want to live and don't want to be eaten? Then we're all screwed because then we have nothing to eat. So it's just kind of like a, a, a sad fact of nature that uh, all life lives not always in a symbiotic relationship, but we live in ex at, at the expense of other forms of life. That's the way it is, and that's the way it's always going to be. What we need to do is we need to come to grips with that and take a lesson from the vegan community and and consider the well-being of animals and try to consider their welfare and do the best we can and not be uh, not treat them like horribly uh, and just improve practices and so forth. I think I think that's one very good thing that is coming out of the vegan movement that's been going on for you know decades. It's um, it's just kind of like this waking up, this understanding that uh, that we, we don't have to be horrible. I mean, animals aren't things; they're they're beings, and they they deserve probably a lot more respect and a lot more kindness than, on average, we show them as humanity. I definitely do agree with that. I feel like you know, it's. I mean, I feel like it's our responsibility to be the best we can you know, stewards of the land, like I said earlier, but that also stewards of mm. any of the animals that we interact with. So, I mean, there's no need to be cruel. There's no need to be harmful. I mean, there's just, it's just not necessary. If you, if you do things properly with proper management and sustainability, I mean, there's no, there's no cause for that. So, you know, I love animals just as much as anybody. So I, I want to be a, a good, uh, you know, caretaker of any animals that I have, any land or any animals on my property, just anything in general for the well-being of my fellow man and, and any of the animals that we interact with. Um, I just think right. we need to approach things more realistically before we can approach things idealistically, if that makes sense. Right. No, no. Makes perfect sense. Well, this, this is going to be a, an ongoing question for sure, but uh, I, I'm glad we've had a chance to dive into it. Some, I feel like I've gained more perspective from the vegan arguments. Um, which I think at the end of the day, that, that's what everybody needs to do. I get so sick of all the vegan propaganda, but then I, I can't really have two feet to stand on because some of my fellow, you know, keto and carnivore community members, they'll they'll jump right or stoop that low and throw in a bunch of propaganda themselves, and it just becomes this vicious negative feedback loop and no traction's gained. So I feel like we all need to, you know, put our pride aside and actually speak one another because, I mean, we're on team humans at the end of the day, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, that's completely right. Awesome. Well, Bo, where can people go to find out more about you and, and learn something about logic and reason? 
Uh, well, my my book, Logically Fallacious, you could always find it at logicallyfallacious.com. But in terms of uh, this book, you could find it at sentiocentrism.com. You could find a whole bunch of arguments and some Q&As and so forth. Uh, you could find the books. I've, I've written about uh, 12 different books that you could find online on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, pretty much any bookstore you could find them. I like, uh, I like writing about psychology, critical thinking, um, and and this is one of the the latest topics that that has has been a definite pleasure to to write about and interesting. Um, and I, I should just conclude that uh, at the end of my journey of, of writing this book and really looking into it, um, I did cut down my meat consumption. Uh, even I, I still eat chicken and fish. Um, that's never going to change. I don't feel like I'm on my way to vegetarianism or veganism. I I've hit the level where I'm comfortable. And I think everybody has their own level. For me, it's eating chicken and or fish a couple times a week. I, I have a heck of a lot of like whey products and so forth. And I, I eat eggs and drink milk and so forth. But it's the, um, the chicken and fish I, I just limit to a couple times a week. And that's kind of where I, I went down to. Like when I started writing this book, I was eating it um, probably like seven or eight times a week. Um, and I just realized that by changing my diet a little bit, it, I don't subtract from my well-being at all. And I feel better about myself uh, by just eating that many fewer animals. Um, and th- again, it's a total personal thing that has to do with with my level of empathy, with my position, with my views on animals and a whole bunch of other factors. And I think everybody is different. And uh, I, I think if if we have the idea that a world where animals are suffering and being killed is even just a little bit worse than a world where animals don't suffer and aren't being killed, then we can use that basic foundational idea to adjust our lifestyle to to try to bring about a balance where we can we can help that world come about and we could also satisfy our own needs and wants and uh, you know still be able to play football still be able to have a hamburger every now and then still be able to uh, do whatever we do and and live well and clear land so we could build a new house uh, understanding that in all these cases animals are being harmed but once again you know that's nature and that's life and there's not much we could do besides killing ourselves, <laughs> and that's not a good option. Yeah, I totally respect that. I feel like it. It you have to figure out, you know, you as an individual, what impact you can make, and and be okay with, you know, sleep well at night, knowing what you're doing is what you're doing, and then trying to go beyond just your individual footprint and and make things happen on a better way. Like like one example in in the you know keto carnivore space. Uh, I really respect the people that try and eat nose to tail, like basically every mm. part of the animal that they can. Um, you know, a lot of people will only go for the ribeyes, which is like the primo cut of meat. And I feel like there's a lot of cattle that are that are getting slaughtered. And obviously the other meat goes other, other places and it gets used still. But I feel like from an individual standpoint, it's a great gesture to try and, you know, make the most of everything that you can. Um, I feel like that is, uh, you know, the responsibility of anybody that eats meat um so i'm proud to to take part in that i'm yet to figure out what you're capable of where your morals lie and then 
try to improve that individually and on a, ho- on a holistic level in the in the space in the community in your environment and i feel like if everybody's got that in mind then we'll definitely be making moves in the right direction yeah, I agree. It's it's this whole idea of, of really being morally conscious and, and expressing it just the way that you did. I think that will go a long way in conversations with vegetarians and vegans and help them and at least start to understand that, yeah, we're uh, just because we eat meat every now and then or a lot, uh, we're not immoral bastards. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. I definitely don't consider myself an immoral bastard, so hopefully Good. I can sway their <laughs> mind to think so as well. <laughs> Well, Bo, I really appreciate it, man. It's good, good having you on here. I learned a ton, and uh, I'll link out to to the books and everything. So, if you All ever right, cool. if you ever find yourself in Arkansas, I'm gonna try and twist your leg and let you have some venison backstrap. But other than that, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to you later. It, it would have to be a strong twist, but you look like a big guy, so you could probably do it. <laughs> appreciate you, man. Have a good one. All right, take care, Robert.